and we've really tried to break that verse down for you as to what it actually looks like to do both of those. And we've said one of the great ways to understand that verse is we walk by seeing things as they truly are because that's what faith does. Faith sees things as they truly are and, and as they truly are is as the way God says they are. Um, faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God, the truth of God. Um, but not by sight, not by the way things appear to be. Satan can easily manipulate the way things appear to be, and if you, if you live your life based upon the way things appear to be, he can easily manipulate you. Amen. But we're not being deceived. Amen. So if you see things the way they truly are, then it's impossible for you to be deceived. But as we dig a little deeper into what faith actually is and how it operates in our lives, we've said that faith is the ability to see beyond the way things appear to be to the way they truly are, but also the ability to respond based upon the way things truly are. It's one thing to see the truth in God's Word, but it's another thing to respond to the way it truly is versus the way so many people do. They respond to the way it appears. Now, 2 Corinthians 4 and 18, we do not look to the things which are seen, but to the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they're eternal. So what are we looking to? What are we looking to? Not looking at. And we said the key way to understand what it means to look to something is when you look to that thing or to that person for the, as a resource, as a supply, as, as um, a means of solving a problem, overcoming an obstacle, so forth and so on. Now, we also said last Sunday the church is trying to function in a four-dimensional reality with a three-dimensional mindset. And so time, space, and matter only leaves out the fourth dimension, which is spirit. Amen. And we said that faith connects you to and, and enables you to function in spirit the way your five physical senses connect you to and enable you to function in time, space, and matter. So we are spirit beings experiencing a physical world. Most people, I hate to say this, but most people see themselves as a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience. You are not a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience. You are a spirit being existing in a, a natural physical world. Let me say it another way. You're a four-dimensionally connected being living in a three-dimensional world, and it's our connection with that fourth dimension, the spirit realm, the realm of God's spirit. That's where we find our help. Now, let me ask you a quick question. Was Jesus limited to or limited by time, space, and matter? <laughs> the answer is no. He was not. Why? It's, it's because he operated in that fourth dimension of spirit. Now, last week we also said that we are to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He has many ways, many channels of providing for us, but he is our source and our only source. Look to Jesus. We looked at the verses in Isaiah 51. We will not take the time to turn there, but there the scriptures say, look to the rock from which you were hewn. So like a slab of granite that was hewn out or taken from a, a, an outcropping of granite in the same way we, we, were, we came forth from God. We're also instructed in Isaiah 51 to look to Abraham and Sarah and how God blessed them and increased them because they are our examples of faith to follow even in this New Testament. But then also we see in verse number 6, the first part of Isaiah 51 and 6, we're instructed to lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath. 
So again, Father's trying to give us a heavenly perspective of life here on earth. We're to look to the heavens. Come on now. Look to the heavens. And then as we look to the heavens, now we have the proper perspective of how things truly are here on earth beneath. So the church is asking God to come down from heaven to fix things on the earth. God is asking the church to come up to heaven to fix things on the earth. You were never meant to live in the world with a view of the world that comes from the world. You see how these things are connected and related and tied together. And the church then needs, and we're the church by the way, we need to shift from a worldly view of heaven to a heavenly view of the world. So if you only look to the facts, you'll never see your situation any other than the way it appears to be. If you look to your if you only look to the facts, you'll never see your situation any other way than it appears to be, which means you'll never respond to your situation any other way than it appears to be. Okay? And then this this last one, and I, I have I'm just gonna put it up here. it's in something that I call notes, which I don't normally put on the screen, but I'm gonna put it up there. How will your situation ever change for the better if you continue to respond to it based upon the way it appears to be? See, I, I don't know every detail of your life and existence, um, but I know that we all have situations in our lives that, that we're wanting to see progress in. We're wanting to see change for the better in. We're wanting to see uh, something come on up to the next level, so to speak. Um, I don't think Sister Terry Croswell, Ronnie Mommy mentioned this. Her, her brother had a really serious medical emergency this uh, past week and a half or so, and and um, for a while, it, it wasn't looking good at all, right? But, it, you know, Terry just kept standing on faith. She kept confessing her and Ronnie in agreement together with, with us as a family of faith. She said, look, I'm not, I'm not going to respond to this situation based upon how it appears to be. I'm going to respond to it based upon what the Word of God says. And it wasn't many days after that, the text came on my phone. It says, miracles are happening in this room. That's, I think, exactly the text. And, and, and they absolutely were. Amen. So, but see, if, if she had just simply re regurgitated about her brother what the doctors were saying about her brother, if she had just simply agreed with them and responded based upon what they were saying, I'm not saying, that, again, that I know some of you maybe have little issues with this whole concept of the difference between facts and truth, but the facts were her brother was in a very serious physical condition, and it wasn't looking good, and his life was basically hanging in the balance, okay? But if you respond based upon those facts, how is, it, how is that going to change it? What power is in that to, to, to improve or, or revamp or revitalize or bring life into that situation? So we know the, that the power is in the Word of God. Amen? He sent His Word to heal us. Amen. He sent His truth. His Word is truth. He sent His truth to heal us. And so let the weak man say, I'm strong. Let the poor man say, I'm rich. Let the sick man say, I'm healed. Because the truth is, in Christ Jesus, you are strong, you are rich, you are healed. Now, the facts may be you need some money this morning. The facts may be your shoulder's hurting this morning. The facts may be um, that, that you've you got some things going that you're not really sure how you're ever going to get beyond or, or out of situations in your life. But again, if you keep responding based upon the way it appears to be, how is it ever going to change? How is it ever going to be any different? Now, I want to show you a case study in the Scriptures that I think really illustrate this for us. And, of course, we know that Jesus was a teacher. He was the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. I mean, he's, you know, all these different names that God's identified by are each one intended to help us see a, a, a bigger and more clearer picture of who He is and, and what He's about and why He came. 
And Jesus came for a lot of reasons, and one of the reasons he came was to teach us. And so Jesus is a teacher, and he was looking for disciples. He was looking for men and women who were willing to make an uncommon commitment to him so that he could teach them on the highest level. And the highest level of teaching is teaching for the purpose of assimilation. And we're learning this in discipleship class. Teaching for the purpose of assimilation means Jesus wanted to reproduce himself in those he was teaching. That's why Luke 6.40 says the disciple is never above his master, but if he's perfectly trained by his master, he will be just like his master. And so Jesus is the master teacher, and he's wanting to reproduce himself in those who are willing to make this uncommon commitment that is discipleship class. I challenged you last week to get out of your comfort zone, right? And, and if any of you in here are, are doing that, what you're going to find out is that your comfort zone is a paper prison. It's a paper prison. You know, it's like, oh, I can't do that. I don't know about that. I don't have time for that. And, no, again, that's just all the excuses the devil lies. Excuses or lies in disguise. All these things the devil is, is, is trying to present to you and, and, and to keep you hemmed in and keep pulling the circle of your comfort zone in tighter and tighter. And so some folks have asked me to repeat what I said last week, and I'll say it again. If what you are looking for is in your comfort zone, you would have found it by now. It's, it's outside of your comfort zone. It's not, it's, it's, it's not within the walls of what you consider to be convenient or comfortable uh, and, and, and you know, acceptable to you, reasonable to you. Amen. So let's go to John, the sixth chapter. Turn there with me, please. John chapter 6. And um, we're going to look at, and if you're familiar with what we find in John 6, it begins with Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I, um, there's a couple of ways we could go about this. Let me, I'm going to go ahead and uh, put uh, John's version of this on the screen. Okay, when I say John's version, his, his eyewitness testimony and what the Holy Spirit, thank you Holy Spirit, John's eyewitness testimony and what the Holy Spirit inspired John to record about this, all right? Because other gospel writers, matter of fact, all four gospel writers um, recorded this particular miracle in their gospels, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But here is what the Holy Spirit inspired John to uh, preserve for our benefit, amen. Uh, let's begin at verse number 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And if you, I feel compelled, and I'll try to, I've just broken this down to make it easier for you to see and relate to. But if you look at what some of the other gospel writers had to say, this was basically supposed to be, I don't want to go too far with this, this was supposed to be a day at the beach with Jesus, okay? In, in other words, they had been working really hard. They were really tired. They had been so busy, they hadn't even had time to eat, okay? And so they were getting away for a day of R&R. &R. They were getting away for a day of rest, for a day to, to eat, and, and a day, no doubt, of being with Jesus and learning from him however he chose to teach them, okay? So that's, you know, when he gets after these things, obviously we're jumping in the middle of something that's already ongoing. But what happened was a great multitude figured out where he was going. They're on the ocean trying to get to this place, or the, you know, the water trying to get to this place. And so the, the, the people just go and find him there. And they did so, obviously, because his popularity was increasing and the miracles which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover 
a feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Where shall we buy bread? Pay close attention to that question. We'll come back to it in a moment. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Look at me for a moment. Don't get thrown by the word test. Oh, God's testing me. God's No, no, listen to me, please. All right. Jesus was a teacher. Anybody remember being in school and having a teacher? Okay. Anybody remember something called a pop quiz? All right. Jesus just put a pop quiz on them. All right. So don't get all people, oh, you know what? God, God won't put more on you than you can bear. The Bible doesn't say that. You're, you're, you're perverting a scripture and misquoting what God said. He would not allow you to be tempted above which you're able, but with every temptation make a way of escape. And he's not the tempter. He's not the source of your adversity. You have an adversary. Your adversary is a source of your adversity. God is for you. He's not against you. Let no man say when he's tested, tempted, or tried, he's being tested, tempted, or tried by God. For God cannot be tested, tempted, or tried by evil, nor will he test him to try any man. I'm quoting you from, from, from the book of James, okay? So it's a pop quiz. Jesus is a teacher. These men are students. He's wanting to see. I'm, man, I'm so far ahead of myself, but let me just, while I'm here, just comment on it now, okay? He's been teaching them, and he wanted to see what they were learning. You say, well, he's Jesus. He would know. Jesus, as a man on this earth, was not all-knowing. See, that, that's the part that people, well, he's all-knowing. No, no. In this instance, he's not all-knowing. Now, right now, he knows what you know, and he knows what you need to know. But as a man, he's like, okay, they've seen a lot, they've heard a lot. Let's, let's see if they're picking up anything I've been putting down. Okay? So, pop quiz. Amen. All right. I didn't change the slides together. Praise God. I'm excited. Verse 6. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what he would do if he was asked that same question that he asked Philip. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in a number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. Now let me just go back to this, verse 10. Uh, in the number about 5,000. It's Matthew's account of this, what the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to record, is where we find it was 5,000 men plus the women and the children. So in those days, they had extremely large families. We don't know exactly how many people there were or why they didn't count the women and the children. But what we do know is that this was a very big number of people, way more than 5,000. Okay. Um, if you just take one uh, woman and one child for every man, you've just went to 15,000. I'm thinking it was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 40,000. Okay, but you say you're exaggerating. Was anything too hard for God? Okay, all right. Did he not feed an entire nation, which we know conservative estimates out of Egypt into the promised land, conservative estimates 3 million most people, and I agree, more like 6 million people, God fed them every day for 40 years. So <laughs> there's no need to argue about how many people. It was just a lot of people, okay? Now, 
make the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. If you underline things in your Bible, underline as much as they wanted. Where is... Um, where is Philip's mind? Philip's mind is how much it would cost for everybody to have a little. <laughs> right? This is how much it would cost for everybody to have a little. Jesus isn't interested in everybody having a little. He's our shepherd, and you shall not want. You'll have everything you need and what you desire, what you want. You shall not be in lack. Amen. Do you see the mindset here? Okay. So when they were uh, filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. So each of the twelve disciples got a to-go box. Amen. And a big one, praise God. And let me remind you that they had been so busy that they hadn't had time to eat, right? And you're going to see from some of these other accounts that they were kind of annoyed that all these people showed up when this was supposed to be their time with Jesus. And they were hungry. And at the end of all of this, not only did they get to experience this miracle firsthand, literally firsthand, Jesus distributed the fish and the bread to them, and then they distributed it to the multitudes. So the miracle actually took place in their hands. Okay? And then at the end of it, they had themselves a feast of the fragments. Praise God. Now, you may know this, you may not know this, but this is the only one of Jesus' miracles that is recorded in all four Gospels. Now, we have the resurrection recorded in all four Gospels, obviously. But technically, that was not a miracle that Jesus performed. That was Jesus trusting His Father and His Father honoring His Word that He would not leave His soul in hell. But the fact that this miracle and the resurrection are the two things that are recorded supernaturally, so to speak, in all four Gospels ought to tell you this is in rarefied company here. This is, this is important enough that the Holy Spirit wanted it not recorded once or twice, but all four of the gospel writers to record this miracle and the perspective that they had on it from the Holy Spirit. Okay? You still with me? Now, here are some details from the four accounts that were not necessarily recorded by each writer, okay? And I, because I'm, I could take the time to read all four of them to you, and it would be good, and it would be value, you know, be time well spent. Read them later when you get home. But what I've tried to do is just give you a list of, of significant things that weren't necessarily recorded by John, okay? You, you follow me? All right, so here, here are the first three. We've already mentioned some of these. It had been a long day of ministry, and they were tired and hungry. We, we see this um, in one of the other uh, gospel recordings. Mark records that they were so busy that day, they did not have time to eat. 
they went to a deserted place by the water for some food and rest, but the people anticipated the location and a large crowd was waiting when they arrived with more people gathering. Okay, so that's the first three things. Number four, Mark records in his account of this that Jesus had compassion on the multitudes and saw them as sheep without a shepherd. The disciples' day off was spent on the sidelines while Jesus taught the sheep or taught the people, ministered to them. Luke records that Jesus also ministered healing to everyone in the crowd that needed healing, physical healing, sick in their bodies. (laughs) Are you kidding me? All right. Now, I don't think, listen to me, I I don't think I'm exaggerating this because if you read these and ask the Holy Spirit to help you, the disciples were a little bit miffed by all this, okay? Um, and let, let, me see if I can, let me see if I can help you relate to it this way. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that you're trying to figure a way to get out of and be polite about it and, and be respectful and, and not be obnoxious, you know? Um, it's, you know, maybe like after, the, you know, the third hour of conversation on the phone, you're like, well, you know, I need to get off this phone. You know what I'm saying? You, Anybody? We went to church with a man many years ago, and, um, and Brother Doyle, he's a funny man, and he was talking about some folks that just stayed at his house and stayed at his house and stayed at his house, and he kept dropping hints, and finally he said he stood up and he looked at his wife. He says, you know, honey, we need to go to bed so these people can go home. <laughs> Amen. I don't know why I thought that was funny, and they knew Brother Doyle, right? So he said, I don't get it. Most people say, we need to go home so these people can go to bed. But somebody get on the drums right quick. Boom, boom. All right, so amen. We need to go to bed so these people can go home. So it was that kind of situation. You say, well, you know, how, how, how do you know? Well, Luke phrased it this way. When the day began to wear away. Right? This was wearing on him. Right? The day was wearing away. They had all these plans, day off, going to have fun, you know. And now it's all been interrupted by these people who found the honeycomb hideout. And now they're here, and, and, and we want to spend time with Jesus. And they're just kind of over there. I think some of them just kind of blowed up about it, right? And they're trying to figure out a way to shoo them off. They're trying to figure out a polite way to, to dismiss the crowd so they can salvage what little daylight is left with Jesus there, uh, you know, um, it was mountains and water, right? I mean, it had to be a beautiful place, some like Hawaii or something like that, right? You know, uh, and and so they're they're trying, and so they came up with this, they come up with this idea, all right. Late in the day, number seven, the disciples saw an excuse disguised as an opportunity, and suggested to Jesus, the hour was late, the people are hungry, they're in a remote area, and should be on their way. Right? It's kind of like when one of your kid's friends is at your house and, you, and you're ready for them to go home and you're like, little Johnny, it's getting dark outside. Your mama's probably looking for you. She probably has supper ready. And little Johnny has every intention on playing video games with uh, little Daniel, right? While, um, and, and eat supper at your house. Okay? And so, are you following me? Come on, now, I'm trying to make this real for you. This, this really happened. I'm trying to help you see this isn't just something that we learned about in Sunday school with a flannel board, right? This really happened. Okay, I mean, this, is, this, is, this went down. And so the disciples are like, <clears throat> Jesus. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is like teaching the people, ministering to the people. The disciples are over here somewhere like, 
right? And so finally when I'm, psst, Jesus, psst, Jesus. Jesus like, yes, yes, do you need me? So the people are still there. It wasn't like Jesus said, excuse me, let me have a conference with my committee over here to see what my schedule is, right? He's all these thousands of people. Jesus ministering to them, teaching them, right? They're like, psst, Jesus, do you know what time it is? Jesus, look at the watch. It would be like, you know, if I went to about 1 o'clock today and somebody come up here and said, uh, Pastor Mark, it's getting late. These people are getting hungry, right? Do you know? You know, read the room, buddy. I know you got caught up in the moment here, but, you know, there's always tomorrow, okay, for crying out loud. So, you know, Jesus tells Jesus, yes, yes, he says, Jesus, you know, um, these people might want to go home so we can go to bed. These people might want to leave. Remember that meal you promised us? Remember that food? We were hungry before all this started. And we're hungry now. And, Jesus, and he's like, it's late and it's in a remote area and these people have got a long way to go. And it only makes sense to us that they need to be dismissed so they can go find them somewhere to eat and sleep for the night. But now again, this didn't happen in private. This happened in front of the crowd. And so Jesus says, because they're going to be so bold to correct Jesus in front of the crowd, Jesus says in front of the crowd, you feed them. Right? Do you see this? He you, you guys feed them. Feed them? Are you serious? Right? Now, this was the pop quiz. Right? The, you're sitting up front with me like big shots. You're sitting up front with me like you've already heard these sermons 17 times and they're boring you. You're not even taking notes anymore. You feed the people since you've got this all figured out and you know enough by now to tell me how I ought to run things. Are you seeing this? Okay. So this is, this is where um, we, we pick up this story. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think, let me say it another way. Did the disciples really think Jesus wouldn't see through their feigned concern for the people? Notice, now they're trying to pull this off like they're all concerned about the people. The people, by the way, who've been sick for 20 years are getting healed. People who are hearing things that have been kept a secret since the foundation of the world. People who are sitting on the edge of their seat can't wait for Jesus to say the the next thing that's coming out of his mouth. People who don't care anything about food or shelter for the night because they're in the presence of heaven itself. And now the disciples are acting all concerned for the people. These, these people, they're, they're, they're too ignorant to know that they're far away from food and shelter. And who knows, they may faint, Jesus. The, there, there are elderly people in this crowd. They could faint before and just pass out and drop dead along the road back to town. Do they really think Jesus wouldn't see through all that? Jesus says, you know what, you're right. They don't need to leave here hungry. You feed them. You feed them. Now, Jesus already knew what he would do. Jesus knew what he would do if the roles were reversed and somebody said to him, Jesus, feed these people. And Jesus wouldn't check the the, the bank account. Jesus wouldn't call the local grocery stores to see how much bread they had on hand. Okay, well, if I could put that with what Winn-Dixie has, maybe. No, he, he already knew what he would do. He wanted to know what they would do. I like the way that, that, that the Holy Spirit inspired John to record that. It didn't say Jesus knew what he was going to do. It was that Jesus knew what he would do. Meaning what? It, it, meaning it's what he's already done, what he would do that day, and what he would do the next time should a similar situation arise. And guess what? It did arise. So he knew what he would do. Would is so much different than what he was going to do. Are you hearing me? 
Do you know what you would do? Not what you're going to do. Do you see the difference in that? Holy Spirit's going to help you catch the difference between what you would do and what what you're going to do. Amen. See, what you would do, uh, that, that expresses it's already settled in your heart. That expresses that you, you already know what you would do and you already know how it would turn out. All right, praise God. Now, there's a lot for us to learn here. Um, somebody can correct me later, and I may be overlooking one, but to my knowledge... I do not recall Jesus referring back to any of the other miracles he performed besides this one and a similar miracle to it, the feeding of the 4,000. Now, I'm not saying he didn't, but I'm talking about what we have recorded in Scripture. I see some of your wheels turning with mine, okay? In other words, it wasn't like Jesus said, hey, remember when the boy was born blind and we healed him. Now, I'm not saying he didn't do that, but what we have recorded in Scripture is that Jesus, in a teaching moment, he says to the disciples, hold on a second, guys. Do you not remember the 5,000 plus women and children and how many baskets you took up? Do you not remember? See, again, this, is, this would be study guide for the next test, right? He's going over the questions and the answers. And the 4,000, how many baskets? Yes, Lord, we remember. Okay. But obviously they didn't remember. Because what happened? They found themselves in a boat. Their stomach started growling. Jesus tried to teach them about leaven. And they immediately think he's angry because they didn't pack a lunch. So, Jesus was not all-knowing in the flesh. We've already mentioned this. He knew what he would do. He wanted to know what Philip would do and the disciples would do in this situation. Now, I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to give it to you in a couple of different ways, but this to me is, is where a lot of this began as I was meditating on the Holy Spirit led me to this passage and these passages and the four Gospels. But... As it relates to what we've been studying most of this year on Sundays together, okay? Here, here's the point. You might want to take a picture of this or write it down, okay? We must stop looking at what we need through the lens of what we have. We must stop looking at what we need through the lens of what we have. Remember, what you look to becomes the lens you look through. They've got a need that needs to be met. And instead of looking to, instead of looking to heaven, they looked to what they had. And because they looked to what they had, they saw the need through the lens of what they had. And as long as they looked at the need through the lens of what they had, they were stumped. They had no answer. It was impossible. Okay? Now, thank you, Jesus. Let's go back up. I wasn't through with the list. Let me get, let me get back to the list here, okay? So, <clears throat> thank you, Jesus. So Jesus tells the disciples to feed the people. That was number eight, okay? Number nine. Man, I hope this stirs in you the way it stirred in me. 
Mark records and John records that Jesus instructed the people to sit. And notice, if you go to the original language, he literally told the people to lay down, recline in the green grass in ranks of hundreds and fifties. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each record that Jesus looked up to heaven before blessing and breaking the bread. Now, John didn't record that. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all recorded that when he took the little boy's uh, fish and bread, I heard Bill Winston say, and man, it's one of those things that just seems so obvious, but I want to point it out, okay, is that they didn't steal that fish and bread from that little boy. They didn't bully him and take his fish and bread. It was a little boy's lunch, and the only way Jesus would have ever received it is if it was given willingly by the little boy. Are you seeing this? It wasn't like, well, you know, we knocked this little kid over the head with a rock and got his lunch, but that's all we got, Jesus. Jesus ain't going to accept that. He ain't going to be no part of that. Like some mafia enforcer taking the little boy's lunchbox. No, no, no. So it was, it was given and offered freely, all right? And we've already mentioned this. So he looked to, where did he look? He looked to heaven. He said, well, I mean, that's just what he, he looked up when he prayed. No, he looked to heaven. He looked to heaven. You know how many people pray looking to the earth? Not looking to heaven. Jesus said, when you pray, talk to our Father. Talk to our Father. Amen. So he looked to the heavens. Remember what we got to do. We've got to look to heaven and then look at the situations on earth through the lens of heaven. Jesus looked to heaven for the answer because he looked to heaven for the answer. He saw through the lens of heaven and he saw clearly what he would do, the answer that was needed in this particular situation. Matthew, the accountant, the tax collector, he records the number to be 5,000 men plus the women and the children. Now, before I go any further, let me get this part out right here. Jesus, Jesus recorded that he was that the people were like sheep with no shepherd. And so what does Jesus do? The good shepherd, what does he do? He tells the people to lie down in green pastures beside still waters to give them all that they want. If you're not familiar with what I'm referencing here, I was hoping the Holy Spirit would help you connect it in your own heart and mind. I see some of you nodding, right? That's, that's Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He does what? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures beside still waters. He restores my soul. Amen? So this is what Jesus is, in essence, living out for us, the 23rd Psalm, in, in the performing of this miracle. And we also see that there was, there was rank and file in ranks of hundreds and fifties. This is how we know that there were 5,000 men. I don't know why they didn't just count all the people and children and give us the, the total number. It's just a cultural thing in their day. So the good shepherd is asking the people to lie down in green pastures beside still waters so he can give them as much as they want. You still with me now? All right, we got a few more minutes, so stay with me. I want to get you a few more things here. So again, we must stop looking at what we need through the lens of what we have. Stop looking at what you need in light of what you already have. That's not, that's not what you look to. You don't look to what you have. So we got a need. Okay, what do we got to meet the need? We look to what we have to meet the need. 
and we feel that what we have is not enough to meet the need. And so now we start feeling frustrated and helpless and hopeless and panicked. And then the devil gets involved. Well, you need to do this. And we start telling us all these crazy things that we ought to do to fix this and all this other stuff. And what did Jesus do? He looked to heaven. And when he looked to heaven, he, he saw the need in light of a heavenly perspective, and it was no problem correcting it and fixing it, okay? So when Jesus says, feed the people, the gold star, A plus, correct answer to the pop quiz would have been, okay, no problem, God, uh, no problem, Jesus. Our God fed millions of our ancestors in the wilderness every day for 40 years. This is the piece of cake to him. But none of them said that, right? So Jesus wanted to see how much his students had learned, and I imagine he was disappointed. Because the first answer they gave to this exam was, Jesus, this is not our problem. Send the people away to fend for themselves. We didn't invite them here. They chose to come way out here and interrupt us while we were trying to eat and rest. They got themselves into the situation. They can get themselves out. Their answer involved looking to themselves and trying to find a reason why they shouldn't get involved. Their answer was look to the cause of the problem and assign blame rather than look to the solution. We see this when Jesus healed the man born blind. They, they, they asked Jesus, <clears throat> trying to sound all spiritual, right? Because I think they were a little bit intimidated because it never been recorded that a man born blind had been healed and received his sight. And so and I think they were, you know, again, trying to impress Jesus a little bit here. And they're like, <clears throat> Jesus, Master, tell us, who was it that sinned to cause this man to be born blind? Was it his, was it his parents or was it him? Notice what they're trying to do. They're trying to assign blame. They're trying to look to the source and the cause of the problem. Now listen to me. Listen to me, please. If there are things that we are doing that are causing negative consequences in our lives, we need to have those things revealed to us, and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to help us correct those things so that we can live in the freedom that we've already been made because of the new birth. But this is a completely different issue here. The disciples aren't wanting to fool with it because they don't see what it has to do with them. It's not their responsibility. But notice, what is Jesus doing? The good shepherd is taking responsibility for the people. Did he invite them out there? No, but they're there. Do they have a need? Yes. Can he meet the need? Yes. Will his father be glorified if he meets the need? Yes. So let's feed the people. And that should be the attitude of the church. That should be the attitude of the body of Christ. Instead of trying to blame people's uh, you know, chaos and blame uh, their, their, their bondage or blame their dysfunction and, and you know, this and that, you should have this, you should have done that, the church has gotten very good at that. Telling people what they should have done. Jesus didn't ask, disciples, what should these people have done this morning? Well, Jesus, they, they, they should have um, checked with you first. Okay, good answer. What else should they have done this morning? Well, Jesus, they, I got one, I got one. They should have packed a lunch. Good answer, they should have packed a lunch. What else should they have done? Well, you know, I mean, if, they're, if, if they're far from home, maybe see if there's any hotels with, with vacancies before. Good answer. This, can you imagine Jesus participating in that, that craziness? It's not about who's to blame. It's about these people have a need. They're sheep without a shepherd. Nobody to lead them. Nobody to help them. And we're here to help them. And we're going to help them. Answer number two. What resources do we have to meet the need? This was a wrong answer as well. Because they were looking to time, space, and matter only. They looked to what they had on hand. 
and what you look to, you look through. They looked at what they needed through the lens of what they had. Now, if you read all, I want you to hear me, please. This is going to help you. Listen to me, please. If you read all four accounts carefully, you will see what most people overlook. And that is this. Having enough money to feed the people was not the issue. They had the money to buy the bread. There was no bread to buy. This is why Jesus asked them, where can we buy enough bread to feed these people? He did not say, where can we get enough money to buy bread to feed these people? He said, where can we take money that we already have to go and buy? And so notice, their answers were, their answers were not 200 denarii, They didn't say, I think a lot of people hear this, they hear, Jesus, if we had 200 denarii, it wouldn't be enough money to go buy the bread that these people need. That's not what they said. They said, $20,000 worth of bread would not be enough to feed all these people that everybody may have a taste. Stay with me. Some of you, I see some of you, wheels turning, your your flesh and head still kind of rebelling, your spirit's leaping inside of you. They had the money. The whole point of this is Jesus is trying to show them, listen guys, what are you going to do when the money won't fix it? What are you going to do when you've got the money but the money can't help you? They had the money. Now, precious treasure poured out on Jesus. Anybody remember the woman that broke the box on Jesus, poured the ointment on his head, ran down, right? And then she starts wiping it off his feet with her hair because she did this to honor him and respect him. And Judas says, not Jesus, Judas says this should have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus says, you back off and shut up and leave her alone. She did this for me and it's a good thing. Okay, right? That box was worth 300 denarii estimated conservatively at $30,000 in our money today. So 200 denarii, we're talking about 20 grand here. And nobody blinked. Nobody blinked at the money. We got the money. It's not a matter of money. We got plenty of money. We don't have any bread to buy out here. There's no bakeries out here. There's no bread trucks out here. You know, $20,000 worth of bread is not enough for every person here to have just a little bit. So no one said we can't afford this. They all seem to agree the problem was not the money. Can we finally put to bed the religious lie that Jesus was a homeless pauper to bed once and for all? Can we we finally do this? Jesus was rich and became poor so that you could become rich. And read it, look up every word in the Greek. It means monetary, physical wealth and riches. Because Jesus was given everything at His birth that He would need to fulfill His life destiny. Three kings traveled a long distance to give him gold and frankincense and myrrh at his birth. And in the same way, Jesus was given everything at his supernatural birth that he would need to fulfill his life destiny. You and I were given everything at our new birth that we need to fulfill our life destiny. You have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, so that you might know the things that have been freely given to you by God. Jesus was loaded. 
He was so loaded, he had a thief keeping the account and was still loaded. These disciples did not blink. And notice Jesus here. If it would cost $20,000 for everybody to have a taste of bread, how much would it have cost to feed everybody there as much as they wanted bread and fish? Jesus isn't just trying to fill an empty place, right? Y'all have that expression in your home? Hungry, right? Sometimes mom and dad will have a long day and they'll pack some crackers, you know what I'm saying? It's like, here, this will fill an empty place until we can get somewhere and get some food, right? And so the disciples were thinking, let's give them a little, let's give them just enough to get them by, let's give them, you know, $20,000, if we can find somewhere to buy that bread, we'll get everybody a few calories in their bellies so they can make it back to wherever they're going. This is how religion thinks. Religion tries to instill this mindset in us, this mindset of barely enough, just enough to get by. Listen to me, God's taking you from the land of not enough through the land of barely enough to the land of more than enough. Jesus wasn't interested in everybody having a little. He wanted everybody there to have as much as they wanted and not just the cheap bread. He wanted them to have filet of fish. He wanted them to have red snapper. He wanted them to have mahi-mahi. He wanted them to have grouper. Am I anybody in here besides me a grouper fan? He wanted them to have the good stuff, the, the Chilean sea bass. Bring it on, dude. Fill them up. He didn't say give them enough to get home. He said feed them all they wanted and he had the money if twenty thousand dollars worth of bread would have been enough to give them all you're probably looking at a hundred grand here to feed this many people Jesus didn't blink at that only problem is we got the money but we ain't got no we ain't got no uh, distributor we don't have a supplier that can get that much to us in the time that we needed in the question was where to buy it not where to get the money to buy it so here's our question as we land this plane what are you going to do when money can't fix the problem what are you going to do when you look to money and money won't do you any good Where did the fish and bread come from? And where did Jesus look to? He looked to heaven, right? The disciples were looking to what they had, so they were looking at the problem through the lens of what they had. Looking to what you need through the lens of what you have, you will look to what you need through the lens of what you have, and you will always see lack. Look to God, and you will see that what you have is more than enough, no matter how great the need. First, the disciples experienced, watch this now, netfuls of fish. This was the beginning of their ministry. This was when they decided to walk away from their businesses, commercial fishing businesses, and follow Jesus. It was when they'd fished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus says, one more time on the other side of the boat, and they bought, they, they caught net-breaking, boat-sinking loads of fish. He filled, first of all, he filled their nets with fish. But now... They have fish already cleaned, seasoned, cooked, and ready to eat. He filled their nets with fish. Now he's filling their hands with fish so that they can fill others. The tired and hungry disciples each end of the day with their own basket full of fish and bread. Amen.
Amen. Matt, Vanessa, Daniel, if y'all would come, those who are going to serve communion, if you would come. I know I went just a little longer than I normally do, but there's really no place to break that and pick it up next week. Are you hearing, are you hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying to us? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know what it is that you need in your life, but here's, here's the first question, okay? Once you know what it is that you need, then you've got to ask yourself this question, okay? What lens am I looking at this need through? If you're just looking at it through the lens of what you have, well, you're just going to keep going around and around in a circle. Stuck, right? But aren't you glad there's another outlet for us? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for this word this morning. Thank you that it's landed deep in our hearts. Father, that it'll be something we'll be thinking about this time tomorrow, Lord, that you're going to, Lord, just continue to minister to this to each of us. Devil, you will not steal this word, but it's making a difference and it's producing fruit in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise God. The brothers are coming to serve you. Once you're served, if you'll hold your emblems until everyone's been served, and then we'll.